It is the middle ground between light and shadow, between science and superstition, and it lies between the pit of man's fears and the summit of his knowledge. This is Time Enough Podcast. Welcome to Time Enough Podcast. It's the podcast where we talk about the Twilight Zone and beyond. Sometime, sometimes twice, as I didn't hit the record. It's only a second time I've ever done that. Uh, but <laughs> I did it with a full hour on a um, TTRPG podcast. We we lost a full hour of gameplay. It was oh, pretty pretty ouch. unfortunate. Yeah, <laughs> but that was yeah, a tough one. Yeah, yeah, you get that, that little shock in the in the heart when that happens. <laughs> yeah, you feel Just a little like, sick. <laughs> Just like a good Twilight Zone episode. Ooh, that's a good tie-in. Yep, this is Matt here. I guess I'll introduce who's talking first this time. Uh, hello, Jessica Limverity. Hello, I can't help myself. No, it's cool. Um, what do you have? You got the the improv group Ripley. You've got right? Mission Log Orville podcast, which uh, sure do. People can now go and hear most of season three as a record hearing this, and the uh, you don't know Nick podcast which apparently doesn't have nick currently um, it does not have nick right now that's i'm so glad that you know that he, he, he i gave him um paternity leave kindly <laughs> so he, uh, I, i'm doing a series where i'm just interviewing people i want to talk to there we go and yeah. our regular here today is andrew hi andrew hi you, you hi. said off air before before i even hit the record the first time that you you've regretted watching the after hours again which I, I must have had it confused with something else because, yeah, we'll talk about it. We'll talk about it. There are things to talk about. I guess I'll talk a little bit of trivia first, which I got to read again. <laughs> Rod Serling penned this episode while Douglas Hayes directed. Hayes had a fair amount of journeyman TV credits in directing, acting, and writing. And in film, helmed the 60s rendition of Bo Guest, which is far from the best one, unfortunately. The score is by Bernard Herman, but repurposed from Where Is Everybody? So if you're having deja vu watching this episode, that could be why. Marsha White is played by Anne Francis, who is absolutely sci-fi royalty for her starring role in Forbidden Planet. She later starred in the TV series Honey West, which holds the odd distinction of being the first network series named after its female star. Apparently there was an Annie Oakley show earlier but that was syndicated so it doesn't quite count elizabeth allen is the saleswoman she appeared in the hawaiian located donovan's reef and diamond head as well as plenty of tv appearances including kojak and buck rogers in the 25th century she lived the tv actor's dream by joining the lead cast of five different tv series though none of them really took hold of the zeitgeist and none of them have an active wiki page James Mulholland played Mr. Armbuster, and his niche was basically playing nervous, befuddled men on TV. He did show up as a psychiatrist in Andy Griffith's 1958 film, No Time for Sergeants. I was actually surprised Andy Griffith was a uh, film actor before a TV actor, because I didn't know that. Yeah, not at all. I, you would never have assumed he was in a film ever. Yeah, really. And I, well, you'd think of him as 
Well, with Matlock or Andy Griffith, right? So right. So a face in the crowd. I haven't seen a face in the crowd. Oh God, what that's ringing a bell. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, you know what? I haven't seen. I just know what you're talking about. <laughs> that's a great movie, man. <laughs> but um, I guess in this case, for our our Serling plot summary, I'm going to ask the professional um, voice actor to do this, which would be Jessica. I could ask Andrew, but it takes him like a minute to dry his lips. And, gotcha. And then he looks like Fire Marshal Bill from In Living Color. So, <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness gracious! Yeah, let's save, let's spare everybody from that. <laughs> All right, let's see. All right, I'm going to do my best Rod Sterling. Uh, express elevator to the ninth floor of a department store, carrying Miss Marsha White on a most prosaic, ordinary run-of-the-mill errand. Miss Marsha White on the ninth floor specialties department looking for a gold thimble the odds are that she'll find it but there are even better odds that she'll find something else because this isn't just a department store this just happens to be the twilight zone all right little curl of the of the sound at the end there perfect <laughs> little what was the what do you mean curl zone something like that like a twilight twilight zone there we go yeah it's like how you envy people who can roll their r's can you focus oh your sure r's? i just taught my boyfriend how to do that i didn't realize he didn't i didn't realize it was just something that i could do but you, you can practice it like you know you just it's yeah i can't it's practicable I, I can't. I, I've never done it. I've because never you done took it. German instead of Spanish. Oh, ah, that okay. very well could be it as well. Ah, Sprechen Sie Deutsch, yes. Sprechen I forgot Sie all my Deutsch. German, though. It's, it's gone. <laughs> um, so I guess, I guess Andrew, I, I, I ask you, because it's an elephant in the room, your, your impressions. Yeah, let's go for it. Oh, no. Um, what, what do you want to know? My, how I, what I think about this episode or why i why are you so that. angry to be on this episode of the podcast i'm not angry i'm i'm mad I can, at myself. you're fuming you're red in the face sweat oh is rolling down your brow it's so it's I'm, actually uncomfortable for all of us I am Marshall I'm mad at myself in the face. mostly because <laughs> no i would i would this is not one of the ones i elect to watch because i have a serious childhood fear of mannequins oh so you you're not cool with um chatty kathy either i guess Nah, 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 no, it's specifically to mannequins. Uh, um, I don't know if you've ever heard of this movie, Tourist Trap, um, but it is. it was a, a movie I saw when I was a kid where people are turned, it's a group of teenagers instead of being killed by a slash or a maniac are turned into mannequins by uh. Uh, like an evil magician and uh, their heads like spin around and it's really, really freaky. And yeah, seeing that when I was on accident, when I was very young, made me afraid of mannequins. And uh, yeah, they're very unnerving. And in this episode, the way it zooms in on the faces and ugh, it's oh, just it's like, so upsetting, especially yeah. when you see her closer towards the end without, you know, jumping too far ahead. But I had never seen this episode. But when they're basically all looking like the way all the actors are holding themselves, looking like mannequins and then just move into real life, it's it's a freaky episode, so I I would never judge anyone. Although I do know someone who has a um, irrational fear fear of being attacked by a whale on land, so that's crazy. But I would never make fun of someone else's irrational or rational fear. Yeah, the the whole point of that is that uh, yeah, I I uh, as soon as I started watching it, I realized what I'd done. <laughs> <laughs> See, Was I it easier to watch as an adult knowing? 
better? Oh, absolutely not. No, it wasn't. <laughs> <laughs> it was not. Seaport <laughs> thing. Fair amount, actually, but I, I, I can sympathize with your fear a little bit because one of my absolute fears is um, being in. It's a small world by myself, like not in the boat, but like right off on the shore. Everything's on, and nobody else is there. Yeah, that that's that's kind of a fear of mine. I think. I think that's what happens, though, right? Don't, didn't they do the, an episode of Family Guy where they just take lost children and they put them in Family Guy, or they put them in the little? It's a it's a small world. That's what happens to the kids that get lost. Oh, and they get turned into wood. It's like a reverse Pinocchio. Ooh, it's kind of like the tourist trap, but meets Pinocchio. This is now this is freaky. I think we just came up with the TV show or something. <laughs> I won't be watching, but fair. Uh, it's everyone here. Fair. <laughs> this is a really disquieting episode, and it seems one of the things I really love about it is I've I watched it like four or five times prepping for this. And I've seen it several times in the past. I actually have seen this one a lot, and I can never figure out quite what it's trying to say. <laughs> yeah. Like well, I mean, it he he he. I think he summarizes it pretty well in the end. What what well. Because he's basically saying you don't know who you're walking around with. Yeah, that's what he's what he's really positing is like you don't know who. I almost walked away going, could I be a mannequin? Like this, this woman literally thought she had a mother, and she was getting a gold thimble for her mother. You know what really I'm saying? Bizarre, um, really bizarre trip she was making in the first place. So you're <laughs> not wrong. Do the mannequins like have like an apartment that they go and get and uh, for a month at a time? Where, where would it, are they just walking the streets for a month? That's a great question. Like, do they? Yeah, who's paying for their wellness <laughs> and their shelter? Do they need to eat? <laughs> this is, so this wow. is Im- important questions you're asking. Yeah, I mean, I guess you're not supposed to break down these Twilight Zone episodes like that far, but um, I don't know. There's there's something you could could do with that. So, but I guess you're right though. If there was more of a clear cut moral to gain from this episode, you probably wouldn't question those things. Because um, really, just what's supposed to be creepy about it is the style, right? Is what's happening in real time. You're supposed to be freaked out by that, and it's sufficiently freaky for sure. No, yeah, um, I would have to say that horror is the point of this one. <laughs> is that personal down. or is that? <laughs> I'm just throwing that out. There. Gotcha. 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 The, the psychological horror. But um, I actually, uh, so the thing that got me to email you, Jessica, to do this episode was listening to one of your podcasts, um, pr- walking around in a rice field at midnight. As, as a guy and you saying like as a woman sometimes you do feel like a certain dis-ease like going out a lot yeah yeah sure totally and i did feel like maybe that's like a a, a thread to pull on you know with on this episode i'm so glad that that you brought me on for that because first of all it's it still blows my mind when I'll, i talk to men and i'm like yeah we f- walking to our car we walking back to our house from our car. Sorry, I don't know if I can. I, can I curse a little bit or no? I have, we don't a, I have, do that. I have a fantastic edit. Great. Sensor. I'm not going to curse. 
if I can have, <laughs> if I can help it. But like just the act of walking to one's car to one's home is even if you live in the safest neighborhood, it's just it will put some a woman at dis-ease, exactly as you put it. This one of the things that really interested me about the Marsha White character is she was really combative. Like she, I mean, first of all, even being on an elevator alone with a man is uncomfortable. Like I don't, I don't walk around with that, but that's something else that like unconsciously women try to avoid as much as possible. They'll try to put themselves behind the man exit last, etc. cetera. Um, but she, she like willfully gets off of the, uh, onto the ninth floor into pitch darkness almost. And just like, kind of goes, this is weird. And, and it she, anyway, she, it was just weird that she wasn't alarmed right off the bat. But then when she was dealing with the clerk, the lady, she was, she wasn't having any of it. She was really pushing back. And I was actually very impressed that she, a, that was the a, that she was written that way and B that she stood up for herself. And then it was a whole horror escapade when she was locked in the department store after hours. That was horrifying. Um, I don't know if she handled it exactly how I would have handled it. Also, how amazing was that shot with her behind the frosted glass glass windows? It was, that's a, that shot was gorgeous. You could have shot that today and it would have looked the same. It was an amazing shot. Yeah. I mean, these, I think in general, the twilight zone, you can like take out almost any still and, you know, make a photo out of it. I, I have no trouble finding the podcast artwork for these episodes. <laughs> sure. Totally. Yeah. I think, um, I think there's, you're, you're right that this, it, it is like a semi-feminist episode in the sense that you're just seeing strong female characters, you know, the men are totally dimwits <laughs> except for the elevator dude. Um, Mr. Armbruster or whatever. He's, he's just the worst. What funny acting though. Um, and it's, it would be an unnerving situation. A for someone not to believe you and think you're just a hysterical woman. That's so upsetting. And that happens so much to women in general, where they're just generally not believed because we're emotional about something. And then B to, to be locked up in a place is weird. It's freaky. Also, how does she remember all of a sudden that she's a mannequin? Like, there's a couple of things that I would have liked to see. It's like, how did she, what happens for her to remember that she's a mannequin? You know? Well, I found it a little disturbing because it's kind of like she, like you said, she's a, she's a little, not, I don't want to say she's hot headed, but she's, you know, forward about what, about what she thinks is real. Right. right? And it's kind of like she kind of gets disarmed of some of her agency at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you are just a pretty face that's going to, you know, stand still for the next 11 months. Yeah, that's a really interesting point. She like all of a sudden this character work that was done on her is gone. That's such a. a yeah, perhaps not the best Twilight Zone ever, but like visually and them not even thematically, but like. What the content is, it's cool and for, for what it's worth. But uh, yeah, and I, Andrew, one of the reasons you're still, I, I still like, I still need to bring you in is I feel like you have done some several films that touch sort of on this sort of thing. Yeah, well, um, I consider myself to be a, a feminist movie maker. I mean, it's all over the Instagram for Gonzerific and everything. Um, but uh, 
we've a lot of times messed with this sort of thing about like what Jessica was saying about women not being believed and to put people in, in order to put people in an unsafe situation, they have to first feel very safe and very secure, which is why I think they wrote her the way that they did at first. I mean, she's not afraid of, doesn't seem to be afraid of anything. So you just sort of go along with it. So you don't have time to sit there and go, Ooh, maybe something's going on here. I mean, it's a little mysterious, but I feel like the suspense works because of the way they've kind of constructed it. And, uh, you know, as, as it kind of goes and the idea of her sort of waking up, that's a really kind of key thing because then people watching are going, well, perhaps everything I've seen now from here on is maybe a dream. Mm. I, I always feel like, like that's kind of an important point in the story is when she wakes up. Cause you're like, okay, well, is she awake? Yeah, that's, that's something like when you have a vivid dream and you wake up, sometimes you have a few moments of kind of like having to reassess what reality is like, you know, I, oh, I, I actually do still have all my teeth. That's good. Um, <laughs> I've, had totally. a, I've had a few times where I had like, like lucid dreams and then got up and then went downstairs to breakfast. And that didn't feel like reality for like 10 minutes or so. You know, I like had to like readjust to like, real reality because i had just uh you know did you willfully lucid dream or like accidentally lucid dream both it's okay it's I, I can manage to like start it myself maybe twice a year wow that's pretty cool <laughs> you know I, I keep saying the tibetan monks can do it like that's why they're monks they can do it like every day right but uh well i yeah. mean david lynch literally has a school where he teaches people how to do it because that's where he claims to get all of his inspiration. Oh, wow. Yeah, I want to go to David Lynch's school. I, actually, this episode has a very Lynchian feeling with people having kind of like weird reactions and, and things like that. And uh, again, you know, we were asking all those questions at the start, like, how do they need to eat? You know, that's like kind of stuff that goes through Lynch films. You know, Lost Highway, you're not going to answer any of those questions. Yes. Yeah. And Anne Francis and Elizabeth Allen, that dynamic that the two of them seem to have there through the, uh, you know, the whether or not we can rely on uh, on on Marsha's characters being the narrator. Yeah, I do like how the saleswoman seems completely obnoxious the first time you watch it. And the second time you watch it, it's like, oh, actually, she's kind of holding herself back. Like <laughs> she's already. Also, why didn't they trip. take the opportunity right away? to i mean this is this is giving credence not that it needed credence to andrew's thought of like it's it was a dream that all that happened beforehand but why didn't they try to remind her that she was a mannequin when she went up to the ninth floor to begin with to get the gold thimble essentially like that would be your opportunity folks you know <laughs> to do that i will say the uncanny valley with poop the un I will say the uncanny valley-ness of, of like the great artwork with the mannequins faces was really freaky too. I think they're all uh, cast from the original actors faces, but, it, but I've seen that look bad even <laughs> today. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So I, I just was more impressed with the overall quality and still looking like them. Although I have some serious questions as to what was going on with those ski masks. There was, one that was really questionable, but I will refuse to comment further. Mid-century scary fashion. I don't know. <laughs> well, no. Yeah. There was one that almost looked blackface ish. And I know that that was not the intention, but I couldn't place what kind of mask that looked like otherwise. So it was off-putting for that reason also. 
yeah, more and more, I, I, I keep finding like the big effect for these episodes. So I guess this would be the uh, mannequin creation. I just imagine like the art director, like running around Hollywood, going nuts, trying to make these things. Um, and the other one, I didn't really just fully pick up on this till my last viewing, which was actually 30 minutes ago. But um, there's several shots where clearly someone is at the bottom under frame, like just shaking the mannequins. And I was like, that, that's funny. <laughs> Like oh yeah, I'll have to watch it again to see if I can. Well, because they also blew their budget on the uh, like amazing look of that department store, and so they need to they need to sit, cut corners somewhere. I do notice that this is a pretty early TV example that I think passes the Betchel test. I mean, they don't really talk about another man anywhere in here, except except for like this guy's in charge of the store or something. Well, so the Bechtel test is just have a scene where you're not talking to a man or having the character's motivation be about a man. And you're totally right. There are several scenes where that's not the motivation whatsoever. Or a wedding. They're not talking about a wedding either. Right, 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 right. (laughs) A situation in which a partner that's typically male would be involved. Yeah, no, that's that's super. That's super good that you mentioned that. That's why I love the Twilight Zone. One of the many reasons. They, they would have screwed up the whole thing if she had been getting a gold thimble for her, her wedding. That doesn't seem like a good present. Here's a thimble. Enjoy yourself. <laughs> I've never, I didn't, it, it looked like a ring, too, of all things. Like, I've never, I, I just love that she needed a thimble. It was a very odd thing to come and get. With the whole thing's, I'm coming for a thimble. Then, of course, you know, we got the store, the, the ninth floor with just one thing. Um, the ninth floor was listed as R, I think. Yeah. Which, later, what like, is, does I that guess, exist in buildings at R? A rooftop, roof. Yeah, yeah. Was, does the elevator come out to the roof? Is that what's supposed to happen? <laughs> that would be the theory gonna, then. How are you going to get to the roof? I guess. Yeah. Uh, raise the roof. Um, <laughs> and, and then I just noticed they had a basement um, ground mezzanine. And garage. Oh, ground. It might. Well, it could be garage, too. I don't know. I, I was just thinking in, in Japanese uh, in Japan, it's all like BGM music, background music. So I was ah. for, for a second. I was like, oh, is that why it's called? Because they played in stores like, oh, no, it's background music. So <laughs> <laughs> that, that's called overthinking it, I guess. <laughs> um, but but still, that's that it doesn't it's not surprising that you'd be like, oh, that's that looks like a thing I know. This is this must be the first time on television that uh, Marsha, Marsha, Marsha was screamed as well. Which right, you know. I thought of that when I was watching it. <laughs> it's like ten years earlier. I'm like, that's amazing. Yeah, Marsha, yeah. Marsha, Marsha. <laughs> I wonder if that character is even influenced by this this character's name. You'd even even subconsciously, probably not. But I could I could see that. Yeah, because it Why is. Not? I mean, I mean. The Brady Bunch themselves are like a group of mannequins, more or less. <laughs> yeah, yes. they, they have the mannequin timeshare for an extended period. Although sometimes I do try and um, Greg, Mike Brady at the work, you know, when I when I'm feeling saucy, I'll I'll put on a ridiculously psychedelic, you know, dress shirt under my under my suit jacket. <laughs> <laughs> There's one that apparently makes me look like a couch. But uh, a couch. Yeah, it's it's the most subtle of them. So um, <laughs> I, 
I wear it the most often, but it's, it's just gotcha. like, like brown amoebas, right? So, but oh, yeah. for sure. Um, you know, I, I, I could never get the well, I guess, I guess Mike Brady had a perm. I could get a, a perm and then do the Mike Brady afro if I really wanted to, but that, that sounds like too much work. So, that's what conventions and Halloween is for. You, you go all out for those. That's and if right. you were to get a perm, I'd get, then you could brush it out and do Austin Powers too, you know. Oh, I got to ask Andrew, how, how long are the Halloween stores open and how long after Halloween do they stay open? Not very long. I mean, they're they're open probably. Um, I want to say uh, maybe about a month before Halloween. And then they're cl- they close um, within two days of uh, Halloween being over. I mean, the clearance sales begin bef- before Halloween even happens. Now, I know they remade this episode for the 80s series, but. If yeah. you were to remake it again, uh, it would be kind of cool to have her in the, you know, like after hours in the Halloween store. Just to, oh, yeah, that would actually less... be less terrifying for me. <laughs> that like, would be much more comfortable. It had, then it would have the ring of like, a, are you afraid of the dark episode? Did you guys, did either of you watch that? I'm aware of it. And yes, aware. yeah, I mean, it's a definitely was I was a kid at, during the heyday of that, but still was yeah. sufficiently freaked out and had a hard time watching it or like eerie Indiana where like weird things like that would happen. Yeah. Those are to me, kid versions of twilight zone. Yeah, totally. I'm just thinking like, and I want both of you to answer this too. If you caught yourself in a department store somehow after hours and you were the only person, what would your reaction be? Okay. Take a nap. You want to go first? I have a definite answer. Okay. Um, I've given some thought to this more on more than one occasion. (laughs) Because you were oh. afraid it's going to happen to you. Well, now, one yes. thing is a, a <laughs> 60s department store and a uh, modern department store would be very different creatures. So I guess I'm going to go with the Japanese department store. Uh, so I'm going to explore the tofu machine. <laughs> I found a tofu vending machine at the what? Japanese department store a few weeks ago. I do have a picture. Um, it has nine different kinds of tofu, uh, ranging from 150 yen, which is uh, $1.50, to 20 bucks for tofu. I guess it's like the really wow. nice tofu for, out of a vending machine. So I, that would just be my big excuse, I guess, to, you know, get into tofu. I don't know. I, I, you know, you have to find something to do, though. The doors are locked, and you don't want to break the glass. Um, it seems a 60s department store would have a security guard walk in the floor somewhere. So that that's a little bit of a lack of something. Well, if you don't want to be there, you get the heck out of there and break that glass and, and move on. You just do that, which is she didn't want to be there. So why wouldn't you want to break the security or? Yeah. I'm going to, I, this isn't the first time I've claimed this on the podcast. I'm going to take the uh, save by the bell solution where they are in the mall after hours and just, they all go into the tent in the outdoor store and the episode makes it look like really like, ha ha ha, they're going to hide in there all night. And you're like, wait a minute, that's like five teenagers hiding in a tent all night. What's going to happen in there? Um, now my, uh, my case, I'll just be in the tent cause I'm alone, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Go to the outdoor <laughs> section, go stay in a tent. <laughs> That would be an intense experience. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Um, I would probably um, look for the button, the other button for my overalls, just like Corduroy did. Ah, okay. The Corduroy. That's my answer. Hmm. Is that a bear? Absolutely. It's a bear. 
Okay, I reckon I remember that kind of. Is that the Teddy Bear's Picnic? It's not Teddy Bear's Picnic, right? Nope, it was just corduroy. He, I remember uh, that. You're like waking up a core memory or something for me. <laughs> I can I can tell you this the uh you know the, the crib notes version of corduroy if you like. There's, yeah, let's go. What else are we doing it's, here? It's just uh corduroy is um, missing one of the buttons on his overalls and uh the little girl who's going to buy him mm-hmm. uh, mother says, "Oh no, look, this one's missing part of it. You don't want this one." And so poor corduroy doesn't get taken away from the store. He's like, man, I got to find this button. And so, yeah, once the store closes, he goes looking for it. And, uh, you know, the girl comes back the next day and he doesn't have it. And she's like, I'm taking you home and I'm going to got a little bed for you. I'm going to sew on a brand new button for you. And that's the end. What yeah. what's the greater allegory for that? What's the what's the what's the moral of the story for that? I think it gives one a very secure sort of a feeling that uh, uh, because you identify with Corduroy being lonely and feeling like he's not worth anything and that there's something wrong with him. And if he could just be what he thinks he should be, then he would be valuable. And then, uh, of course, at the end there, um, she says, I'm only um sewing this on to you so because i think you'll be more comfortable not because some for some reason it makes you look more like a a good toy to me and i I always thought it was great that they mentioned that that actually is important that they're not fixing him yeah yeah it's kind of like like you were saying like they couldn't have possibly known but wow how forward was that that's so sweet because marcia here she's got like 11 friends at least right i mean they don't talk much but you know, she's clearly part of a. I, I assume it's twelve. I assume it's a, it's a it's a mannequin a month. But uh, yeah, I didn't, Sorry, I didn't I actually count the deep dive sidebar of corduroy that happened. That was the. Whole... Oh, sorry, you you. Re- that was the whole. Yourself. That was the whole purpose of being here was for me to learn that. <laughs> oh, there we go. <laughs> that was off the top of my head. I'm I go from being the guy who's scared of mannequins to the person who can find the meaning in corduroy i feel the, as though that was the purpose of meeting <laughs> that has that has that has value <laughs> so all right um jessica what are you going to do in, in your closed department store i'm gonna go try on some clothes i'm gonna wreak havoc i'm gonna i'm gonna try to enjoy i might freak out a little bit granted i might be a little i'm not saying i wouldn't be scared a little bit of course i would but it, I, you know, find a mag light, carry a big mag light around with me in case someone pops out of nowhere and try on some clothes. A hundred percent. It's kind of like a night of the comet, what they do before the zombies get there. Oh no. Now, now I definitely won't enjoy myself if that ever happens. Now my question. I'm sorry. Oh, you finish your thought there. We didn't mention Anne Francis. It's mentioned in late night double feature picture show yeah i called her sci-fi royalty yeah yeah i called her sci-fi royalty she's in the song (laughs) rocky horror royalty yeah oh Um, which which you did yeah you did your cover version last year i put it out oh oh daughter yeah that's right (laughs) she was on there yeah yeah so my question is uh, uh, which of the these are more unsettling for everyone? Mannequins, puppets, or ventriloquists? Andrew, are you down with the... Is it the mannequins? I feel like you're cool with puppets. 
I don't know about. I'm actually. I sorry to use the word actually. Holy, did I never say actually? I'm going. Actually said actually. (laughs) I'm going with animatronic. Can I do that? Yeah, sure. Why? Because they're the worst. Just the worst. You're gonna qualify that statement. I mean, from (laughs) Showbiz Pizza and Chuck E. Cheese all the way Uh through the Hall of Presidents and Pirates of the Caribbean. They are absolutely the worst, and they're in a, it's a small world, to your point. How about an animatronic dinosaur? Oh, like in Tammy and the T-Rex. I, I guess oh. not. I'm, I'm thinking there's a science museum near here that just has a fantastic animatronic T-Rex. And- uh, no, they need to be, um, for the Uncanny Valley to work, they need to be uh, presenting as human. Right, right. I directed a improvised... Um, X Files and our one of our first episodes, we got suggestion of animatronics, and it was a you know obviously they came to life, but it was a sufficiently creepy episode. Sorry, Andrew, you're gonna, you're gonna have nightmares. <laughs> you know it's it's over. It was over when I started the episode, so um, I appreciate it. that, but it's it's over. Got it. You got to flip the schedule, so it's it's my it's my night, your morning. <laughs> Poor thing. Uh, you know, that would. Okay. Well, the last time I tried to watch Tourist Trap, I thought, well, I'll watch it early in the morning. All the lights are on. The sun is out. But, you know. It just ruined your cool. day. Well, it got to be nighttime. And inevitably, <laughs> I was by myself. The, you know, every, everybody else in the house was asleep. Go to take the dogs out. Next thing you know, I've got to ascend the staircase in the dark. And uh, wouldn't you know it, they're right behind me. <laughs> When I ask my students in Japan, like, what's what's the worst movie you've ever seen? Or, or as I often have phrase, what movie don't you like? Mm. Often, often I'll get an answer and I'll say, why? And they'll be like, it was scary. And it's usually something like a Harry Potter movie or Ghostbusters. And it's, it's just kind of weird. They're equating like this movie is bad with this movie is scary. Oh. oh. Like, well, I think that's true for children, right? Like... If it's if it's something you can't watch, you might assume that that would be bad. I'm it's just not like surprising. High schoolers here. These are high schoolers. Yeah, me. but if it's if it scarred them, like if people mm. watch the first was it the first Harry Potter where there were giant spiders that will ruin somebody's experience <laughs> for sure. If yeah. someone doesn't like spiders is all is my point. Yeah. See, I have the thing where no, uh, where my, my daughter is into the uh, into Harry Potter for a little while. And it was like, oh, you can't put on the movie because my mother-in-law is terrified of it. The, the six-year-old's cool. It's the mother-in-law that's having problems. <laughs> that's interesting. <laughs> well, um, I, I, one of my favorite film moments recently was uh, we ha- I keep mentioning the family view of The Shining. And when um, Scatman Carruthers eats it, my wife screamed and, and my daughter started giggling. <laughs> and he told me about that. I know. That's, just a, I was like, just that, that's the perfect, a perfect film viewing moment. You have a horror file on your hand. That's going to be. Yeah. If that's how she reacts. I, I shouldn't have shown her the Adams family movie. She wants to be Wednesday now. Oh, that's so cool. <laughs> what? That's a great thing to look up to. Yeah. yeah well, that, there's about to be a, a Wednesday Netflix series. Yep. Wow. That's weirdly specific. But I, I guess that's how TV works now. She's well, she's the most relatable character right like all the kids wanted to be her that's where i'm going to stop that sentence (laughs) 
I told you all the Adams family memes are from uh, the summer camp thing from Adams family values. This is oh. true. Also very forward for its time being super uh, pro native Americans. It's been, it's very good with that. Agree. Yeah. It was 94. Was it something like that? So a little ahead, uh, I guess I'll start asking some questions then. Uh, the first of which I tend it. to, ask around here is uh who exactly went into the twilight zone hmm. mr armburster uh, that was gonna be my answer. yeah that's pretty much what i thought <laughs> i kind of thought like he, he he noticed it and then decided to like ignore it because um from his perspective he just has a weird uh customer complaint notices mm-hmm. that something insane has happened and just decides to forget it which yep is, is that how to deal with the Twilight Zone? Just big. Like, oh, that's a hell of a thing. And then you forget it. <laughs> There's a scene in um, Adventure Time where Finn it, sees a, a demon. And everyone's like, they thought he was like, this is a joke. They're playing a joke. He's like, well, that, the demon that you guys made was, was crazy. And he goes, dude, there was no demon. And like at the end of the episode, he goes, that's going in the vault. And it's gone. <laughs> he just deleted that. <laughs> from his memory it's still in his subconscious because it shows up later in the series um i don't think it's the best way to deal with something but that was not a battle he was going to win today plus if you've worked in retail particularly in you know a store like where he works that's maybe the fourth weirdest thing that's going to happen to you well there are a few people where in the twilight zone where if they chose to ignore it things would have gone much better for them um getting back to walking distances, Marty, if he just kind of like decided to roll with it, he would have had a much better time of it. <laughs> I agree. <laughs> oh, he needed to relax in some way. Yeah. Cause you know, uh, Marcia has considering that she seems to have some kind of like memory blackout, you know, she's not acting completely unreasonably considering that she's had the experiences and is telling people and no one's listening. Right. Right. Totally. Hmm. So I, yeah, I think I was, I've said arm burster as a joke, but I don't think, I think he is probably the only one that would, if, if, cause if the mannequins are the twilight zone, that's the thing that's the twilight zone. Oh yeah. When, when you said that, I was like, Oh, well, I think both of us were like, Oh, that's, that's the obvious answer. That's the only, yeah. That's the only actual human character in this entire story, isn't it? I mean, the other the other um, uh, shop girl who helps, who tends to um, Marsha White is a normal person. You know, she, I think she was like the first person to offer her. Can, are you looking for something? And then Mr. Armbruster passes her and goes, well, I'm looking for a hundred dollars out of you today. So she's also a through line throughout the episode as well. Perhaps the Twilight Zone or the amazing savings you'll get from this department store's Labor Day sale. <laughs> Perhaps the Twilight Zone is that it's that many levels of a store to begin with, whether it's eight or nine. It's a, it's a big department store. The Tower of Terror. Yes, it is. Now, my, you know, I, after that, I, I typically ask, do they deserve their trip into a Twilight Zone? There's, there's really nothing to say about Armburster for that. I mean... He did. I mean, he deserves worse, if anything, right? So, <laughs> yeah, he's definitely a yes man. He's definitely like, you know, he's kissing the manager's butt. He's not. He's not his own man. Um, but I don't think he. I, I, yeah, I don't know. 
I don't know that you can apply the quali- quali- qualifier of deserving to this one. So now I'm thinking about the mannequin saleswoman. Uh, she's, I mean, she's inconvenienced, I guess, at worst. <laughs> she almost wasn't going to get her, her day in the sun, but also she could have just left if she really wanted to. We, there could be rules, you know. Right. We, do, we don't know the rules. I Only mean, one at a time. Yeah. And how did this even get started? I mean, who, who rented that apartment if they have an apartment? They, they These care. are things we're going to lose sleep thinking about. See, I'll lose sleep on that. Andrew's going to just be screaming at the ceiling about mannequins. And No, I will, I will be imagining <laughs> the mannequin revolution where they all get together and just, you know, just take the stairs and, you know, go on a rampage of freaky terror. They're coming for you first. I mean, I want to talk about deserve. I believe that's that I'm I deserve that somehow. And that so was you, by agreeing to do this. So you prefer the chopping mall then? Chopping mall. Yeah. Uh, what does that mean? That, that, that's I, the it's where their security robots go crazy in the mall. Yeah. Oh, uh, <laughs> I don't know what I prefer. Um I'm gonna <laughs> they're all just not good options killer security <laughs> robots or demonic mannequins man Make okay yeah choice. no the security robot yes the security yes please 100 times over the robots yes maybe, maybe we'll get lucky there'll be a solar flare and take out all the robots that would be yeah yeah <laughs> I, I i i want yeah okay i'm starting to feel better about all this but then the solar flare brings mannequins to life Somehow, I like, I like to use the term "personikins." Personikins. Yeah, it's actually very forward-thinking of you. <laughs> Where do we want to place this on the tripometer? If you want to keep it traditional, zero is not trippy. Five is very trippy. Uh, oh, except strange noises and decimals and imagined numbers as well. So, I think five trippy because it's like a fever dream. Yeah. Yeah, I, the, yeah, I, I'm, I'm. I'll say I'm not quite giving it a five, and I have a reason for that. But I thought about it, so. I think just more because we have so many things that are unanswered that it's hard to place this in reality. Well, uh, yeah, it's no, it's not pig faces or anything like that, you know. But it, it's it's just a weird scenario. I'm sorry, I have trouble thinking of this just on its own because I agree. But then I think about something further down, like five characters in search of an exit where it's not until the very end. And it's so I don't know what's going on until the very, very end. And then you're like, whoa, there's the answer. And so for her to say I'm a mannequin, I think I feel like it drops it down just a little bit. So rather than a five, but I'd still say a solid four, four ish. Yeah, I was going to go with a, a four for me as well. And the, the reasons I have is. um Visually, I, well, I guess mannequins are, are trippy to a certain extent, but there's just not that totally bizarre edge. You are you are just watching like a department store for the most part. Um, the other one is I, I've given a f- only one five so far, which was a world of difference. And the capper for me was that we basically had completely different interpretations of the reality of that episode, mm. which didn't happen here this one is the the rules maybe aren't clear 
how this works doesn't make sense, but everyone comes away with basically the same impression. And like, well, the five went to the one where we watched a different show, even though it was the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to so, agree with Andrew, though, that if we if we walked away with Marsha White still going, I'm not a mannequin, I'm not or whatever, and then being frozen in the I'm not, we would end up with the true horror flick. That would be awful and amazing. But it would probably be one of the better uh, twi Twilight Zones and more memorable if it had ended that way, probably. Or she's walking around the store, somebody knocks her over and her head comes off. <laughs> I'm sorry. They're like, oh, no, it's fine. We'll just screw it back on. And that's the end. See, I, I wouldn't I, know where I, my head was if it wasn't screwed on. <laughs> I intentionally didn't watch the 80s remake uh, before recording this episode, in part because mm. I want to make sure I'm talking about this episode, and well, I'm yeah. going to get to the 80s one eventually. But yeah. apparently the 80s one does end with more kicking and screaming. So oh, uh, I wonder if there's like a story somewhere on the internet where it's like Rod had written it differently and it got like you know, watered down for TV or something. I wonder. Cause I, I think I actually do find it a little more existentially disturbing that she is just like, Oh yeah, I am a mannequin and, and steps. Sure. In the like, like I said, she basically loses all of her agency at that moment, which I found to be highly disturbing. Yeah. But not uncommon for women of that era. Exactly. No. Which is again, why I'm like, looking at this episode and definitely want to put the, uh, or wanted, I, I, th I think we put the proto feminism, uh, magnifying glass over it by this point. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, for the most part, I think so. Yeah. I'd rather do that here than with the mannequin movies from the eighties. <laughs> I look forward to being asked back for that, uh, that series. <laughs> yeah. You want to do the mannequin series? Why not? Andrew McCarthy. He's got your namesake. Yeah. yeah? Now he wasn't in the the sequel, I don't think. <laughs> I think Kim Cattrall came back, but he didn't. It was something mm. like that. Yeah, yeah. It's like yeah. we got the. It was like oh, what was I just hearing? I think it was. Oh yeah, it was George of the Jungle, where for the straight to video George to Jungle two, the only person who came back was Thomas Hayden Church playing the villain. I was like, that's weird. That's so weird. <laughs> Why even do it at that point? <laughs> it's like. Brendan Fraser's gone, but I'm still gonna. Yeah, just I, was, I, I guess he wanted a paycheck. <laughs> but like, I... why did Disney make it or whoever <laughs> made that? So awkward. That weird Disney sequel period where it was just because they knew on Friday night when all the movies everyone wanted to see had been rented out, there was George of the Jungle too, and well, and there was Sonic the Hedgehog too. Yep. <laughs> At least I have that quality of the first one to go by. That's I right. That's right. Very confident in this choice. It's like a, Aladdin too. They had someone else do the voice of the genie, and but they still Gilbert Godfrey, which is weird. And then they drove a a truck of money at Robin Williams' house and had him do the the third straight to video sequel. So straight to video is a, a weird gray area of reality. I will say Fair. though, I I do like Little Mermaid three because it's a prequel. Really? Yeah, it's pretty cool. I would check that out. I, Little Mermaid was my favorite thing of all time. I remember the first movie I saw in theaters was Beauty and the Beast, but Little Mermaid was my fave. Yeah, part two is kind of just a copy of one, but three actually has some it's got storytelling value. 
I mean, you know, it was a, yeah, it was a good idea. I thought, I thought frozen two was good. You know, like that it's not, it's not a pitch perfect film, but anyway, we could talk about that all day too. I was going to say, I agree. Uh, yeah. I started Great. seeing that you explained it to me as being an X-Men movie, basically. <laughs> oh, like frozen. origin story. <laughs> frozen is totally an X-Men movie. Okay. That's fantastic. To- See, it's, it's, it's all an age thing because my daughter's 12 now, right? So, you know, about six years, or maybe about five years ago, like all animated things just kind of went, except for anime, of course, because that's what kids in Japan watch. <laughs> but uh, I've kind of, I, I, I finally fell off of the Pixar wagon, not in that I think it's bad, just as in like, I haven't been like, you know, I used to watch every Pixar movie and I've, now I don't, so. I think I she should get back on for, like Encanto, Encanto, and like turning red and stuff. She's like the perfect age for those kind of films. If she hasn't watched them, say, they're better now than they ever were. Luca's very good as well. No, I need to see Turning Red because um, actually my office. Everybody is, should it's see like, Turning Red. It's well, awesome. it's like true. my office is like a mile away from some lesser pandas. So <laughs> it's, it's if I want to go see some lesser pandas, pandas, it's very easy to do so. <laughs> <laughs> But uh, yeah, because I didn't know those were a thing until I lived here, you know? Did you know sure. lesser pandas were a thing before turning red? I don't think I did. I think the design, like the, their look, though, didn't surprise me. I just don't think I knew about them. Andrew, was that your, your introduction to the lesser panda? Absolutely was, yes. Okay. Yeah, because I, yeah, I started seeing them at the zoo like 10 years ago, and I was like, that's weird. Why haven't I heard of this animal before? We assume we've heard of like most of the common walking animals, right? So, Yes, and then you realize you just haven't. <laughs> no, we, we went through a thing where after we watched it, we looked them up and you know made sure they were a thing, and they certainly are. Yeah, it's fun. They have there's like you walk in the middle of the enclosure. There's an outside area, an inside area, and um, they just there's like logs above, and they just run above your head at this. Oh, so, so cute! Yes, 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 yes. I love that. It is a lot of fun. So, Chelsea Yamazu, if anyone finds themselves in Nagano, Japan, <laughs> someone will. I guess we'll wrap it up on here today because we're—it's the Lesser Panda Show now, which is is very nice, but definitely a different topic than where we started. So, uh, <laughs> Jessica, can you tell folks about your your improv and or your podcasting? Yeah, I would be happy to. So you can—I'm um, sure there's a lot of audience crossover. You can hear me on Mission Log, the Orville, where we're covering every episode of the Orville, and we do awesome interviews with um, creators of the show, and hopefully, we'll do some interviews with the cast. Uh, we did do one with Seth MacFarlane. That was great. Uh, I do a person, I do my own podcast. You don't know Nick where we t- are supposed to talk about uh, the next generations. And uh, right now my co-host is on paternity leave. So you'll just hear me talk to my friends. And uh, if you want to see me do fun stuff, that's sort of like improv, but not really go to twitch.tv slash Jessica nerdy, where I play video games essentially for a living. It's pretty great. Which, which games are your jam? So right now I'm all in on um, this game called Vampire Survivors, which is just like a survival game where you have a million and a half um, baddies attacking you. But I love Minecraft and Fortnite's kind of fun for me. I'm dabbling in I'm dabbling back in Sims 4. I just got into Civilization 6 and I really like it. Um, so I, I guess you would call me a variety streamer. I, I can't 
play civilization uh, that's that's like me doing meth or something <laughs> uh, it was a hundred percent that for me i actually um was playing with two two people that are i are, are very dear to me and i treated them worse than i ever have treated anybody in my adulthood uh, because i was losing it was very unhealthy so i took a little break <laughs> uh andrew you want to do your thing yeah well first of all an honor and a pleasure to be here. This is a wonderful discussion. And Jessica was awesome to hear your insight on this show. And I am glad it wasn't just two dudes talking to each other, which I don't know that I would elect to listen to as a listener of anything. So <laughs> Matt and I have a long history of talking to each other. So it doesn't feel like we're doing anything out of the ordinary, to be fair. fair. Um, so Gonzorific, G-O-N-Z-O-R-I-F-F-I-C. That's my friends and I. We make movies here in Athens, Georgia. Uh, by the time this airs, the premiere of our latest mixtape, Jigsaw, will have happened. That is, of course, where uh, it's like Jigsaw, except for it's a woman who is uh, capturing um, crappy internet movie critics and forcing them to watch other movies we've made. And that premieres at the uh, Metropolitan Studios on July the 2nd. So that'll have happened already when we record this. And it'll probably be out for streaming and on sale at gonzorific.com and Blu-ray DVD. Sounds like the Gonzorific universe. That's fantastic. I mean, we just, it's just a... <laughs> That's so. awesome. So you explained explain Jugsaw as being exactly what it sounded like to me. But as someone who doesn't watch the Saul movies, I got like a very different impression in my mind. So it wasn't exactly like uh, it sounded. Well, if you go to the Gonzorific's <laughs> Instagram or Twitter at Gonzorific, you can get a look at her and that'll show you everything you need to know. As for this one, it's Time Enough Podcast. We're Time Enough Pod on Twitter, Facebook, all of that. Um, on Patreon, it's Podcastio Podcastius, where my pals and I do lots of podcasts. We talk about science fiction movies. Uh, I talk about whatever in oral hygiene. That's It's kind of a hard sell, isn't it? There's some video game podcasts there with Luke Loves Pokemon. Uh, Monster Mash will be talking about the new Monster Hunter game very soon. And there's a very aggressive game game show, which involves British gamers uh, yelling at each other and giving each other impossible quizzes and um and oh and andrew actually yeah my, uh, mark went in for a, a bout of that so i guess we'll hear that soon okay Our mutual friend <laughs> <laughs> okay well, i guess i guess this podcast just ends by us all standing very still for 11 months i think that's right someone else is going to be uh i'm turning into manic sorry Ooh. thanks for having me person again how long person do this again. 